Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. 30 on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm in John chapter 1 right now. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Have you had that transformation? Have you been born again? Great topic we'll be covering in the show today, but to get things started, we're going to find out what's going on in our nation's capital. My first guest will be Rob Bluey, as he always is on Tuesdays. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal, and I get my 30 minutes of news and politics once a week, and I get it from Rob. Let's take 60 seconds and then bring him on. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. I came across a saying that stuck with me over the years. It says, the most difficult arithmetic to master is learning to count our blessings. But let me say that's never the case when thinking about you who support this ministry. You are a blessing to us, and we're filled with gratitude because of your partnership. The Faith Radio Giving Report I receive every day causes me to stop and praise God over and over for His goodness through you. Your generosity and faithfulness in supporting this outreach is so encouraging, and we are truly thankful for the commitment you show in funding this ministry. Because of your gifts, the gospel goes out, God's Word is taught, and lives are changed. So in this season of Thanksgiving, let me once again say it clearly and sincerely, thanks for your support. When we count our blessings at Faith Radio, we think of you. We appreciate all who listen to Faith Radio, but those that give make it possible for all to hear. So join the giving team today with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. You know, on Tuesdays I get uh, my... It's my delight to talk to Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal, and I always look forward to uh, learning everything I can learn about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's a a busy day in Washington after the Veterans Day holiday. We've got a busy Supreme Court hearing a DACA case today. We're set for the first public hearings on impeachment. I mean, you can't get a bit more into this action-packed week in Washington. Now, the Democrats, they're taking kind of an unusual approach to this Trump impeachment, aren't they? They certainly are. I mean, it started off uh, perhaps a, a little bit unorthodox in terms of being announced from a, a podium as opposed to a floor vote. But uh, they, they did decide, uh, after some reluctance on the part of leadership, to move forward with this. Uh, of course, the Trump call uh, from uh, uh, to Ukraine is what, what set this all in motion. It seemed that we were over the talk of impeachment after the, the Mueller investigation kind of had subsided and uh, President Trump had weathered that storm. But this, uh, this phone call put it uh, back on the radar for, for many folks, and you had Democrats quickly embrace it. So we now find ourselves in a situation where the Democrats have carried out some private hearings, uh, released the transcripts of those, and this week we're going to see some of those same witnesses appear publicly before the Intelligence Committee. 
So, Rob, tell me if I'm nuts. Let's just say that the, and don't answer that prematurely, let, <laughs> let, let's say that the House impeaches him, it gets to the Senate, and then because it's largely Republican, well, it is Republican held, they can drag the, the hearing out for as long as they like, which means no senator can leave Washington during that impeachment trial, which means many of the senators who are on the campaign trail wouldn't get to go and campaign, and that could drag out for a long time. You're absolutely correct. I mean, certainly Republicans uh, could could play some uh, some some parliamentary games, shall sure. we say, uh, and uh, and drag it out. I, I I don't know though that that benefits Donald Trump in any way. So um, obviously, I think the White House would like to see this this come and go as quickly as possible because they uh, would much prefer to talk about some of the policy achievements as a, as opposed to impeachment. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely correct that Republicans will have a say over how the the trial is conducted. Mitch McConnell has made it very clear that you can't uh, really just dismiss it. Uh, they can, you can attempt to dismiss it. I mean, they can, they can try to get a vote. But I am not sure right now, Bill, given the narrow margin of the Senate, if, uh, if all Republican senators would be on board with dismissing it outright. I think that you might have a few who would prefer to see it uh, actually go to a trial, hear the evidence, and then uh, at that point uh, uh, cast their votes. So uh, we shall see exactly how it plays out in the Senate and when that happens. It, it very well could be uh, in January. And at that time, you're right. Uh, they're getting ready to vote in Iowa and sh- shortly after in New Hampshire. And there's a, certainly a lot at stake for some of the key players who will uh, have to make a choice, whether to be on the campaign trail or whether to be back in Washington in the Senate. Yeah. Now, also at the Daily Signal, there was a great story on socialism. And students today say that socialism is all about inclusivity and kindness. That's right. <laughs> well, it just goes to show what uh, what the meaning of the word is uh, and how how different people uh, conceive it. I mean, look, uh, when I think of socialism, I think of Venezuela, I think of Cuba, I think of North Korea, I think of uh, you know the socialism of of of, of, of yesteryear and the Soviet Union and China and things of that nature. But uh, there's a lot of young people today either because they haven't been taught those history lessons or, or don't have a, a good frame of reference on current events, who think of socialism as being social. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, what's, what's, what's not to like about being social and mm-hmm. friendly with everybody, right? Um, so, so I think that that's where you uh, perhaps have some of those misperceptions. But it also, I think, leads to a situation where politicians try to tend to take advantage of that. And, uh, and they see the, the rising support of socialism in a different vein than maybe some people who don't fully understand the ramifications of socialism. And then uh, present policies where the government uh, is encroaching on our freedoms and taking more control over our lives and uh, instituting policies like the Green New Deal or Medicare for All, things that, uh, you know, I don't know that our country can really afford or the American people actually want. Um, So it's really interesting to see the debate play out right now. I think that's one of the most important reasons why the Daily Signal is out there to to tell those stories about other countries that have experimented with socialism and how how bad they've gone and uh, and why it's something we should be weary of. Mm -hmm. I've been to San Francisco many, many, many times, and it's really one of the most beautiful cities in the country. Yet, boy, I, every time I open up the, the Daily Signal, I go, oh, here's another story I have to pay attention to. The new DA in San Francisco has now said that public urination will not be prosecuted. That's right. That was a campaign promise of his when he was running for office, and uh, he emerged victorious over the weekend. So 
it is uh, going to be quite interesting to see how things uh, play out in, in California. We have a contingent of, uh, of California natives on the staff of the Daily Signal, so I think it tends to be one of those issues that we maybe uh, you know pay a little bit closer attention to. Plus, just like we were talking about, it's so important to learn from others. I mean, just as we've learned from Venezuela and other places that have instituted policies, uh, we should take a look at what's going on in California because its policies tend to be a place where things start in this country and then move to the east. So, I mean, we want to be definitely be aware of uh, what they're experimenting with in, in California. This, I don't think, is a good experiment at all. No. Um, I, I think California needs to be moving in the opposite direction. You need somebody who's focused on the rule of law and law and order uh, on the streets to clean up the mess that's been created, as opposed to somebody who's being more lenient. Uh, but you have a situation in this country, Bill, where some of these uh, races that don't necessarily get the kind of uh, front page attention, uh, district attorneys, for instance, that uh, have uh, increasingly become a, a focus of the left. Uh, George Soros has invested heavily into these races. I know right here in uh, in native uh, my, or my hometown of uh, of Virginia, where I live, uh, it's uh, it's an area where um, a Soros-funded prosecutor just won office as well. So you uh, better believe that there's going to be implications for some of these elections and things that you might have expected to see from a DA uh, in the past will will surely be different from uh, what happens in the future. Okay, Rob, we've got less than a year away from the 2020 presidential election. What kind of shape is the uh, the voter registration rolls in? Well, they could certainly be much better, and we're uh, we're following several cases. My my colleague Hans von Spakovsky at the Heritage Foundation, who is one of the uh, nation's uh, foremost experts on this this particular topic, uh, has a new piece looking at uh, what happened in Indiana. And I, I look, I think it's uh, it, it's one of those things where if you talk to people, they want free and fair elections, just like, like all of us. I mean, I don't think that there's anybody that would dispute that. They might have a different, um, a different approach to how you go about accomplishing that, but uh, making sure that the voter rolls are clean is absolutely essential uh, in terms of preventing fraud come election day. And uh, if you can't have a clean voter roll, then anything is possible, and, uh, and elections could be stolen. We have a database, a voter fraud database at the Heritage Foundation bill, which has uh, well over 1,000 cases of documented voter fraud in this country. Uh, these are, these are the, just the ones that we know about that are public. I mean, there could be plenty more uh, that we just haven't discovered yet. But uh, encourage your, your listeners to check it out um, at the Heritage Foundation. Again, it's heritage.org slash voter fraud. And it is, uh, it is you know, a, a, a classic case of the left trying to deny that there's uh, there's no problem when it's right in front of us and there are people being convicted of these these crimes uh, literally every election. It's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, for voter registration, making sure we're having it done honestly. And it uh, seems way messier than I than I can put my arms around, Rob. Well, it, it, you're absolutely correct, and 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 you know just to delve into this this case in uh, in Indiana, I mean basically what you had here was a, a group of a panel of judges uh, come up with some what Han says really uh, extraordinary excuses as to why uh, you know uh, it can't be done. Uh, look, people are moving all over. I mean, we live in a very transient country. I mean, it's it's unlike. When, when we, where we were even a generation ago. I mean, it's much easier to, to pick up and move. The, the type of economy that we live in today, I mean, makes it feasible to find a new job in a different state literally overnight. And when you have people who are moving from one location to, a, to the next, I mean, you, one of the most important things you can do is make sure that the voter rolls are actually clean. Mm-hmm. And so I, I grew up in New York, uh, so I cast my first vote in New York when I was a teenager, and then, you know, I moved to Virginia. And, of course, you know, uh, when I was in New York, I went to college at a different location than my hometown was. 
And, you know, I uh, I hear stories all the time of college students showing up to vote in, in the, the place where their college is when they're actually registered back home. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that people can abuse the system. And, of course, you want to make sure that you're only voting once um, so, you know, you can't have abuse that way either. So there's any number of, uh, of challenges to actually making this uh, this work. But uh, it's essential to make sure that the voter rolls are, are clean and uh, and people are, are you know, held accountable and uh, and certainly not abusing their privilege. Yeah. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Rob. show. Awfully glad on Tuesdays get the chance to speak to Rob Louie, the executive editor of The Daily Signal. I read on thedailysignal.com, Rob, an interesting story by Cal Thomas. He was talking about yes men and no men and how important it is to not surround ourselves with people that only say yes to us. That's right. Well, I, I, I think it's uh, absolutely critical because, I mean, when you find yourself in a, in a situation like that, I mean, it just, I think, demonstrates, first of all, poor leadership and probably poor decision-making in the end because uh, it's really important, Bill, uh, to have a diversity of opinions around you. I think that, uh, you know, a, a boss doesn't necessarily have all the answers. Uh, I think that sometimes uh, this is this is on display very publicly at the White House, right? I mean, you have aides to President Trump who who disagree with him, and this is a president who likes to hear multiple opinions. Uh, and occasionally, you know, he will he will strongly disagree with them, and maybe even so strongly <laughs> you find yourself out of a job. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to uh, to hear different perspectives. And I was I was glad to to hear, see that Cal uh, write about this. Um, you know, Carly Fiorina just did a, a a podcast interview with uh, Heritage President Kay Coles James and and talked about this issue because she herself she herself believes in having a diverse staff and and people who are willing to bring different ideas to the table and I think that's ultimately how we end up uh, better off as a country how we end up uh, leading better organizations uh, and how we can be better people because we're we're not surrounding ourselves uh, with people who are just you know saying yes all the time but actually willing to uh, to think critically and engage with us on, on different ideas. Mm-hmm. Rob, I had a chance uh, several months ago to interview uh, Clara Caldwell. Uh, she has a remarkable story of surviving an abortion, and I know that uh, Katrina Trinko uh, at the Daily Signal had a chance to speak to her as well. So I thought maybe we could share this moment of, wow, what a story together. It, it is. Um, it's, uh, it's our Daily Signal podcast today, and it is a powerful story hearing her, her tell it. And wow, uh, it is uh, just incredible, Bill. I'm, I'm so fortunate that uh, the, the people like her, abortion survivors, are willing to speak out and share their personal stories because, as she herself says in that interview, uh, there are people who still don't believe her. I mean, she will tell the story, and, and there are people who come back and say that can't be possible, that, uh, that you actually survived an abortion. And uh, to uh, understand the circumstances which she lived her life, and fortunately an adoptive family gave her uh, that chance, and she's gone on to now uh, raise her own children. And uh, she talks about the miracle of, of giving birth and, uh, and how, you know, had she not survived, uh, how, you know, her own child wouldn't be in this world today and just uh, how incredible it is. Uh, so I definitely encourage your listeners to hear it. Uh, she's one of many abortion survivors who are increasingly speaking out, I think, particularly as they see states put in place laws that allow abortion right up until birth and some of the horrific things that we've heard uh, governors like uh, Virginia's um, – 
say. I mean, it is it is incredible that people would actually embrace infanticide, and uh, that's exactly what Ralph Northam did. And uh, I I am still shocked that uh, that he remains in office to this yeah, day, uh, having having said that uh, horrible thing and some of the other actions that he took. So, uh, yes, we need to hear more stories like uh, Claire's, and, and I hope that uh, more people, if they're listening now, will come and share them either with you or with us, because it's important for Faith Radio and The Daily Signal to, to put those out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, I'm a little bit of a distracted listener. I multitask, like I'm sure you do, and I was listening uh, to something yesterday, and I was uh, my thoughts were challenged about uh, our military presence in certain places in the world. Did I hear that we have a pretty significant number of troops in South Korea? We do. I mean, look, this is <laughs> this is one of those things where uh, I, I don't think that people necessarily realize, uh, you know, how, how stretched the, the U.S. military is. I mean, for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, people, uh, we've talked about this before, uh, just don't understand, uh, just don't know anybody who's in the military. I mean, the, the military uh, makes up a small percentage. I think it's like under 1% of the population. And so you might not even know a veteran or, or somebody who's currently serving uh, in your life. Uh, my, my brother-in-law is, and I'm fortunate for uh, his, his service. He's deployed overseas right now, and we, we pray for him and his family. And, uh, and, and yes, uh, there are people in, uh, there are service members in Korea, there are service members all over. Over this this uh, this world, we hear about the hot spots like Syria and Afghanistan mm-hmm. all the time. But there are a lot of others out there who who are in need of our prayers uh, because they're doing uh, they're doing work as well uh, on the front lines and in many cases keeping the peace in places that could be unstable. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about uh, Kanye West and his uh, his new mission into doing church and and gospel oriented rap music? Well, we're excited about Kanye. <laughs> I and, thought uh, of him, we, too. We, we hope that he, uh, he continues. In fact, uh, our president, Kay Coles James, invited him to the Heritage Foundation for a, for a policy briefing and told him that if he's serious about running for office in 2024, that uh, he needs a good grounding in, uh, in public policy, and we're, uh, we're here to hopefully uh, help him. So we'll see if he takes us up on that offer. But, uh, but regardless, it's been encouraging to hear Kanye talk about uh, his, his, his faith uh, and his Christian beliefs, uh, to hear him come out. And uh, and condemn uh, a previous lifestyle uh, addicted to pornography as as he was from a young age, um, you know those are powerful stories. And again, I think uh, celebrities like him and and icons uh, in pop culture can have a transformational impact on on so many people. Uh, to also hear him uh, include lyrics about the the horrors of abortion. Uh, again, I mean, I, I I think that these are all things that uh, hopefully Kanye um, is is continues to develop, continues to speak out publicly. Uh, I'd love to see him at a thing like the March for Life, I'll tell you. I mean, wouldn't that be something? That would be you incredible. Would expect it. But uh, he's somebody who's um, challenged conventional wisdom. I mean, remember, he showed up uh, at Trump Tower, met with the president. He's been to the White House. Uh, so has Kim Kardashian. I mean, they've worked with this administration on criminal justice reform. So I think it just goes to show that uh, you don't necessarily have to agree on everything, but on certain certain areas – uh, you can make progress, and you can work with people who don't necessarily share all of the, the, your beliefs, but if uh, you find put your passions together, you can accomplish great things. Yeah, I saw a little bit of his service on Sunday. They had all, only 17,000 people show up. It's and, amazing, I know. Yeah, yeah, and the description of it sounded like it was, uh, you know, part amazing gospel choir, part Billy Graham evangelistic message, 
And then they were interviewing some people that were leaving, and this, uh, you know, a number of young black um, kids were going, ah, oh, this is amazing. I, I've been thinking about this, and now I, I've got something, you know, I'm going to really start thinking about and praying about. And I, one kid said, this has been transformational for me. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it is. I mean, it absolutely is. And that's why I think we need people like him to, to recognize the role that they play in society as role models, uh, why it's so encouraging to see uh, to see him uh, embrace this this lifestyle, and and we can just like I say, hope that uh, you know it continues in a positive direction, and he continues to have a, a great influence on on others uh, to seek out faith. Uh, I mean, look, uh, I think that this is uh, this is one of the areas where if we really want to reduce the size of government and and improve uh, our our families i mean this is an area where kanye could have a significant impact because it's not always about the state and the government uh solving the problems uh, i think that uh through faith and our religious organizations we can do tremendous things as we ha- as this country has done throughout most of its history mm-hmm. um, so let's let's get back to that yeah what's the next uh, heritage foundation special event coming up Oh well, you know we uh, we have uh, a couple of big ones. Uh, we're, we're, I'm actually uh, going to be traveling next week during our show, Bill. I'll be out in Colorado. We've got a a big event uh, in Colorado Springs that uh, that we're doing with uh, with some of our coalition allies. So we'll have to figure out whether uh, whether where I'll be calling you from exactly okay. next week. But uh, but you know it's one of the great things that I enjoy doing. I, I love getting outside of Washington. I haven't been able to travel, as you know, uh, because of the the young baby, right. uh, just a couple months old. So I've been staking close to home. But uh, but here, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting out there, and it's always great and refreshing to get a different point of view. Sometimes when you are inside the Beltway here in Washington, uh, it, it can be monotonous at times, and it can be overwhelming with the negative news that you hear. But uh, there are good people doing some great things out in America, and so it's uh, it's refreshing to to see them and uh, and hear about what the work they they have on their horizon and how we can support it. One last question, Rob: Is Savannah Grace is she sleeping? She's doing pretty well. Yes, okay. some nights are better than others. Okay. But, uh, yes, it's very important that mom and baby get their get their sleep and get their rest, and yeah. uh, we're doing our best to help them. Fantastic, Rob. Thanks so much for doing the show. I look forward to next week. Thanks, Bill. It's you great bet. to be with you. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Head over to DailySignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. Mr. Rob Bluey. Coming up next, Pastor John Sampson will come on the program. He's an interesting guy. I'm really anxious to meet him. He's pastor and teacher of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona. So I really want to become his friend. So maybe if I go there this winter, because I'm tired of freezing in Minnesota, he'll open his door to me. And then we're going to have a full hour with Rick Matson and John Afonso. That's the program for the rest of the day. It's going to be a great one. Let me take a little break, and when we come back, we'll Introduce Pastor John Sampson to the show. Be right back. A 
I hope your Tuesday's going well. Thanks for tuning me in today. It's uh, awfully nice that I get a chance to meet Pastor John Sampson. He's an author, and he is a pastor and author at King's Church in Peoria, Peoria Arizona. And he's a uh, author, conference speaker, and just has a love for God's Word. And I'm meeting him for the first time. John, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be with you. Well, I thought I was going to talk to you about your 12 Whatabouts, which is your book, and then I started just uh, looking around the Internet, and I started watching um, many of your videos, and I thought, uh-oh, you're a really deep well. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, we we can go anywhere. We can go a lot of places, that's for sure. Yeah. You might be saying, uh, after I give you some answers, well, 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 that's as deep as we get. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it's uh, very interesting, and I would love our listeners just to get to know you a little bit. I mean, you grew up in Chester, uh, England? which is real close to Wales? Yeah, close to Wales, about 20 miles from Liverpool, northwest of England, yes. Okay. Now, just uh, let us know how you came to faith and, and where what direction you started off in. It's interesting. My father was a preacher, but he was an itinerant preacher, which meant he went to various different churches rather than just stayed in one locality. And it meant that I although very much growing up in a Christian home, wasn't really part of a church, which is a little strange. And I remember at age eight seeing my dad reading his Bible. It was an old uh, black King James version, and uh, he went out of the room for a moment. And I started reading it, and I just thought to myself, maybe I was aged eight or nine, you know, I can't find anything interesting here. There's, it's just boring, and there's, there's nothing in me that wants to ever read this again. I just could not. And uh, I loved uh, soccer or football, as we called it over there, and that was my passion, wanted to be a football player. And then at age 14, my dad actually did ask me to go to a service. He wasn't going to be preaching, but he knew the gospel would be preached. And um, I didn't want to be there, didn't enjoy the at least the first half of the service. But midway, I think, through the sermon, I was, uh, as the old-timers say, my heart was strangely warmed, and I became interested, and I wanted to know this Jesus, and I realized I was in a lot of trouble with God because although compared to others, I might be doing okay, compared to the holiness of God as it was being proclaimed and my understanding that I was a sinner before God, I needed a savior, and uh, that was the night where I believe I can look back and say that was my conversion. And I, I was asked to walk the aisle after raising my hand and signing a card. I'd have signed up for the military, I think. <laughs> but uh, what happened was I came back to my seat. This was about 10 minutes after the initial walking forward, and my dad was still crying. And that's, I think, the only time I ever saw him cry. And he told me years later that he'd been praying for my conversion since I was a young lad and I was just overwhelmed with God's answer to that prayer. Mm -hmm. And then you had kind of a watershed moment when you went and uh, heard R.C. Sproul speak, and he made comments on both John 3.16 and 2 Peter 3.9. I'd love to hear yeah. about that experience. Yeah. 
It was it was interesting because I was immediately thrust into a, a very what we would call Arminian environment, uh, man-centered. You are the deciding factor in all things. God's done His part, and then you decide and you tilt the wheel and you tilt the direction of the ship. Um, and God is kind of waiting for you to do that. R.C. Sproul came along, and uh, he was coming to a city near me. Now I'd moved to the United States, was pastoring uh, a church starting from scratch in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We're in one of the suburbs now. And uh, I, I didn't really want to go. I didn't want to hear him, although I had a great respect for him. It's strange. And yet um, I didn't want to hear him on the subject that he was going to talk about, which was predestination and election and God's sovereignty. And it was the year 2000, and I thought, haven't we got over this? Uh, Isn't this an idea past its sell-by date now? We can put it away or throw it in the trash. It's uh, it's interesting that a number of people who I did respect in church history embraced it, but I thought we'd got over this. And then I thought, well, I'll go. I won't go. I ended up going, but sitting on the back row in case uh, I had to just leave because he just kept quoting old-time theologians. Unless he could prove it from the Bible, I wasn't really interested. And he really just went to the Bible. And then uh, there were questions I had, and he promised to answer them in a question-and-answer session, and those two scriptures came up. And the way he dealt with them in their context Although I look back now, I'm thrilled with what he said. At the time, I actually hated it because it was exposing the fact that I had really some ingrained tradition. And uh, he, in two minutes, just articulated what the text actually said rather than what we read into the text. And I was a a pastor. The church had grown to about 300 people at that point. I thought I was doing pretty well, knew my Bible— And in a couple of minutes, he was able to expose the fact that I really had a shallow understanding of a text that I could quote in my sleep. That Mm -hmm. was the problem. Because I could quote it, I thought I knew what it was saying. And really, that's why I started writing later on about what the text actually says and answering some of the big objections people have, because R.C. Sproul impacted my life really dramatically that day and then I ordered everything I could of his on the subject, and it uh, wasn't easy because I had a lot of tradition, as I say, uh, but over about a six- or eight-month period came out saying, you know what, he was right. Mm-hmm. Now, John, I'm thinking of Second Timothy 2.15, uh, which is do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Um, it certainly sounds like there you, you had a moment of that you had not entirely um, handled the word of truth properly? Or am I saying that correctly? Because I, I know I've yeah, done this myself I, yeah, to my own yeah, mortification. Was, yeah, um, exactly. I'd, I'd, I'd been through seminary at this point in England, and I thought I knew my stuff, what I needed to know. Um, but we tend to hear the same verses that we can quote in our minds and read them the way we've always understood them and not analyze the the actual wording of the text. And um, that was the case, and I had to unlearn a lot. So, uh, yeah, it, it, tradition is so strong. Someone actually said it this way, traditions uh, blind us, and those most blinded to tradition are those who don't think they have any. Mm, I have to think about that one. So would you yeah. give us a little bit of 
your discovery that you uh, learned through your study on, say, a, a verse as popular and famous as John 3.16? Yeah, I'd be very, very glad to. It's, 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 the way it's normally uh, read, the way it's normally understood is that there's an understanding that is read into the text, and that is that God has a love for every single person in the world in the exact same way, and therefore he's done something in sending his son so that we then believe in Christ and have eternal life. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with that except the idea that God loves everyone in the exact same way is actually a tradition. And if you actually walk through the Bible text, it's not something that is just found in the New Testament. It's all throughout the Old, even with the people of God called Israel. And he chose them out of all the nations. And the reason for that, we're not told. It's not anything in them. It's just in Deuteronomy, we, we see that he says he loved them. He set his love on them in a way he didn't for the Canaanites and for the Jebusites. Israel was God's people. The same with Abraham. There was Hammurabi down the street, but he chose Abraham. And God's love for the world, the word world there is, uh, I'm sure many are familiar with the, the Greek word behind it, it's cosmos, and it means in various different places, different things. Um, it's used 12 different ways just in the Gospel of John alone. And sometimes it means every person in the world, but usually it doesn't. Sometimes it means the earth. Sometimes it means Jews and Gentiles. Sometimes it means the elect. I believe what it means in John 3, verse 16, is God's love for humanity, the world of people. And God's love for people, we can quote the verse, for God so loved the world, that's human beings, that he did something. He gave his one and only son. It's the giving of his son that showed his love for the world rather than uh, feeling something, he did something. He gave for the purpose that not everybody will be saved, but all the ones believing. And it's that word whosoever that is often emphasized when people quote the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him. And the way I'm saying it is the way we've come to understand it. It's, it's in the human's court. It's in man's court. You have the ability to believe, um, therefore exercise it. Whereas in the original text, as I came to understand, it means all the believing ones. And whosoever or whoever is actually a good translation. There's nothing wrong with that at all, except we read into that an ability to believe that we can just exercise the right at any, uh, the right of choice at any given moment. But we're actually reading into the text. Again, backing up a little bit, God's love for the world, for Jews and Gentiles, all of humanity, is seen in the giving of his son so that all the believing ones, or all those who believe, will have this result rather than that result, which is, they will have eternal life rather than perish. And so what the text tells us is that what it doesn't tell us is who can believe. That's not something that's addressed in the text. In fact, 
it's earlier in the same chapter that Jesus makes it clear that someone needs to be born again before they can even enter or see the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God, we do that by believing. And you can't do that, according to Jesus, unless you are first born again, that uh, God takes out the heart of flesh, as Ezekiel talks about, and puts in, excuse me, heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. And so, again, just coming to terms with the fact that it's all the believing ones. Everyone who believes will have this consequence rather than that consequence. That just open up my eyes to say, okay, what else am I, am I missing? What, what else am I not grasping? Because I've just read into the text something that actually isn't there. What I read into the text was um, something other than what it says. All John 3:16 teaches is this. All who do A, believe in him, will not be perish, but will have C, everlasting life. Does it tell us who will believe? Or who can believe? No, it doesn't. It doesn't address that. You want to address that? Go to other verses. But again, that's just a platform to go to other places in the Bible and just reread the text. All right, John, I am fully engaged in what you're saying. So let me take a short break. And then when I come back, let's maybe go to some of those verses, um, if you don't mind, and we can... Uh, Pick it up from there. Uh, John Sampson is my... happy to do that. Yeah, terrific. John Sampson is my guest, and he has uh, written a book called 12 Whatabouts, Answering Common Objections Concerning God's Sovereignty in Election. We'll take a little break. Be right back with John. John Sampson is my guest on the program. He's a pastor, teacher of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona. And he's written a number of books. The one we're chatting about is 12, uh, 12 Whatabouts. And John, right before we went to break, we were talking about John 3.16. And you have really did a nice job of laying it out. And I hope some of the things you're going to share now going forward are also in your book. We haven't really gotten to your book yet, or have we? Uh, some of it. I mean, I I think I, it's important to lay out what it is we're talking about, which is the subject of divine election in that particular book, and then going to go to scriptures and saying, let's let's look at that text. Does does this negate the doctrine that we're talking about, or actually, when you look at it, does it still stand up when you scrutinize it? So I, I came up with. Um, in fact, I started writing about it on a, a blog called uh, reformationtheology.com. And um, over the years, the, the, the benefit of that is people fire back and they say, well, what about this? Well, what about that verse? And, uh, you know, you make a statement and they say, well, okay, I can see what you're saying, but what about this? And over time, uh, the, the, the man who uh, kind of runs that website says, you know what, you've, you've, over the years, you've kind of answered the main objections people have. Have you ever thought of writing a book on that? And uh, that's what I did. In fact, it's it's called 12 Whatabouts, answering the biggest, the most frequent objections that I come across when people struggle with this doctrine. And, and people do struggle, and I know that because I struggled. Mm-hmm. So if we got back to where do we go from John 3.16, who can receive? 
Who can receive? It's really, when we understand it, we choose Christ because God first chose us. A, a good illustration of this was made by Henry Ironside many, many years ago. He says, if you can picture a door, and above the door, there are these words, whosoever will may come. And this is the call of the gospel. It's to everyone. We say to everyone. We don't go looking for the elect on the, you know, amongst the cities and the byways. We go preach the gospel to everyone. And what, I, what is our message? Come to Christ. Whoever will may come. And then he walks us through that and says, as you go through that door, you come to salvation in Christ. And then take a few steps and look back, look back over the door that you've now walked through. And you see another sign, and it says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But God has an elect people uh, in, in Old Testament times. Uh, the people of God were known as Israel. Uh, we, we see in the New Testament, it's uh, his, his people, his church. And that phrase elect is seen over and over again. And again, uh, second... Thessalonians speaks of it. Uh, uh, many other scriptures throughout our, our Bible speak of uh, of the elect. And then G- Jesus seemed to even rejoice in this doctrine. He he said in uh, Matthew 11, I'm, I praise you that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. It was good in your sight. And then he goes on to say, come to me all. And so Jesus saw saw no real contradiction between the Father electing a people, hiding truth from some, so that those who are full of pride and arrogance and stubborn resistance don't see, and yet still being able in the next breath, those famous words, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. So Jesus didn't uh, speak with a forked tongue. He, He spoke frequently of the Father's electing, and then Uh, stood in the marketplace and said, come to me, everyone. And uh, so there's a balance that's needed in this subject, great balance, because some people tend to uh, just, it's hard for them to to carry both thoughts in their minds that God has an elect people, and yet we're responsible to believe. So who can believe? Those who are given faith. And that's why the Bible calls it a gift. Uh, We're we're given repentance. We're granted repentance. And so we do the repenting, but it only is because of God's activity first in taking out the heart of stone, putting in a heart that wants to know him. We want to know um, something other than God. We want God with, no, not really God. We want the benefits of God. We just don't want God until God works in us. There's no God seeker, according to Romans 3.11. Uh, There is no one who seeks after God. So if we find ourselves seeking after God, it's because God has intervened and opened up our hearts to see the beauty of Christ. All right, John, let's go back and uh, talk again about 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some Mm -hmm. understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And there's also a listener just chimed in with 1 Timothy 2.4. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? Yeah, um, I'd love to go to those scriptures, and thanks for the opportunity to do that. What we often do is just quote the verse and not look at the context. 
And context is, is everything. Even when it comes to the word all, if a teacher's in a class and she has students in front of her and it's about time for the lesson to start, she might say, are we all here? She's not speaking of the 7.4 billion people on the planet. She's referring to all within a certain group, all the students who should be in the classroom. Uh, similarly, when a mother's got her SUV and she's going to the grocery store and she's got seven kids and she might say to the older one and to anyone else who's listening in the car, are we all, are we all in? She's not talking about all the people in Morocco and China. She's talking about all the kids who should be in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And so it's context that tells us how we use the word all, how we're to interpret it. And, and immediately someone might say, look, all always means all. No, it doesn't. Uh, we, you, you say that all the time. No, it, no, sometimes I sleep, and I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we never use the word all unless there's a context. Sometimes when the word all is used, it means everybody on the planet. But usually it doesn't, and it's context that allows us to know what is being said there. And outside of John 3.16, I think that's the verse that most people go to, um, assuming the, what is meant by that. And to really understand it, we need to go back to the beginning of Second Peter chapter 3. We, you, you're quoting verse 9, but it starts obviously in verse 1 where Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, all right? And then he says, beloved. So he's writing to the people of God. And he says, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And so he goes on and he talks about the fact that many are, uh, in the last days, uh, they're going to be scoffing about the second coming of Christ. And he, he's saying, well, they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Where's this second coming? And he's explaining that the reason Christ has not yet come the second time is because what? Because God is patient. And let's go to uh, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So he's writing to the same people as in verse 1 of the same chapter. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that's the people of God, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Time is very different from God's perspective than ours. And then he says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. All right, who's the you? The you is the beloved he's writing to. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any, any who. Here's the big thing. We often supply the any as all people, but that would actually go against the context. All what? All people, all dogs, all cats, all, well, we insert the word people, but the any has to do with the you. He's not uh, in any way slow concerning the promise of the second coming because he's patient towards you, not wishing that any, any who, any of you should perish, but that all, all who, all of you should reach repentance. And here's the amazing thing. I talked about coming to Christ at the age of 14. And let's say for the sake of argument that I am one of the elect, I believe I am, then the reason Jesus 
did not return the day before I was converted is that he was not willing that I, as part of the any, would perish, but that I would come to repentance. And that's the reason for the second coming of Christ not happening uh, as yet, because there's still more to come in. And back to verse 1, he says, this is the second time I've written to you. And if you go to the first time that he writes to the you, it's First Peter. And there in the very first verse, he makes it clear he's writing to you, the elect. And so rather than that verse being a verse against divine election, it's a verse that teaches it very, very strongly. God is not willing that any of his beloved perish, but that all of them come to repentance. And that's why Christ has not come back yet. Wow, John, it's been uh, really nice to have you on the show, and I I would love to have you back. Uh, It's just uh, so much to study and to uh, be good Bereans and get back into the Word and see what it says, and um, just really appreciate your your teaching, not to mention a a very cool accent. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'd I'd, I'd love to come back, and not promising I'll have a different accent, though. Okay. Well, I'm glad you like it. No, I like it very much. Got, yeah, so. stick, stick with it, and we'll have you back. Pastor John Sampson has been my guest, and the book that he wrote is called 12 Whatabouts. You can head to Amazon.com to check it out. Uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.